You're listening to Seeking Change, the podcast where industry collaborates on eco-efficient minerals and made possible by the generosity of our sponsors and volunteers. In today's episode, we are joined by Seek International Director Eric Wasmond and Head of Innovation from Anglo-American Phil Newman, as we discuss the benefits of the Anglo-Hydraulic Dewatered Stack HDS technology. Well, Phil, it's it's great to be talking today about uh, water and about uh, Anglo's role in water sustainability. Water conservation and stewardship are very important, especially in the mining area today. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this in this major global effort? I've been part of the Anglo Tech Dev team since uh, the end of 2014. I came into the company about a year, year and a half into the, the Mark Kutvani, Tony O'Neill regime and technology development and the development of new technology across the whole value chain was of, was of great importance to, to both uh, Mark and Tony and Donovan Waller, who's the group head of TechDev, was given a pretty free hand to, to look at all, all aspects of technology. And I guess my first exposure was in 2015 when I um, was instrumental in developing the Open Forum on Sustainability. We focused on water. We brought together about 60 people from across a wide range of industries. Our approach on open innovation was uh, splitting it into thirds. So we had a third of the group from Anglo a third of the group from the uh, from the mining supply chain and a third of the group from um, unrelated industries. And I think it was really important to get that perspective, the non-mining perspective, because water and energy and carbon and uh, efficiency and safety, all these issues that are facing the mining industry have been faced by the mining industries for decades. And there is quite a strong argument that uh, if you're looking for a solution, then maybe don't look within your own industry because they've had plenty of decades to try and find those solutions. So our open forum approach was really based on bringing in those what we call wildcards into the open forums and allowing them to to contribute. We had to give them a little bit of a, a background on mining so they can understand scale because the scale in mining is quite unique. But uh, but as a result of that open forum, there was a whole load of uh, ideas popped up and that's that's what got me started. And then going forward through the, the latter part of the teens last decade, we worked on a number of projects related to, to, to water conservation. Excellent. And can you also explain a little bit about why Angelo, this is so important to Angelo and why they're making this pioneering effort to bring in different partners and, and getting involved with some of these key areas? such as water and energy and uh, efficiency, as you mentioned? I think you look look at our geography and look at the look at our assets across the world. I think about 75 to 80% of our assets are located in water-scarce areas. And we've had issues at some of our larger mines where production has been curbed because of lack of water. So the moment the production starts being curbed, then the problem becomes a serious problem from a financial perspective. It becomes, you know, the, the kind of issue starts being measured in hundreds of millions of dollars rather than millions of dollars. Plus the continued focus that we've always had on the ESG to make sure that we are serving our communities and providing assistance to the communities where necessary. And water is always, 
one of the biggest issues raised by communities when we're operating uh, our operations. So you're, you see this as a way that you can get a competitive advantage over other miners, where you can have a more harmonious relationship with the communities and with the local uh, governments? I think ESG is just good practice. I think ESG is it's just the way you have to do things. You have to be able to demonstrate good relationships with your uh, communities and your other stakeholders. The opportunities may arise going forward as potentially resources become available, that if you are a company with a good reputation on that perspective, governments are going to look on you perhaps more kindly than, than other mining companies. So from a competitive perspective, I'm sure that's that's in the back of our minds. But primarily, it's about, you know, trying to live the Anglo-American values. You know, one of our values is care and respect. That's not just within our own company, but that's within all stakeholders and our communities. Phil, all of those different technologies that Anglo has put in at the front end, studying with different subject matter experts and one of the, the technologies that I hear is really bubbled up to the top is hydraulic dewatered stacking. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how that works, what the benefit is, and where you've been demonstrating some of that at, a, at an early stage. Sure. Hydraulic dewatered stacking, or HDS as we like to call it, is it's a pretty exciting breakthrough. Like most exciting breakthroughs, actually, it's pretty simple. But I think we were well placed to identify the opportunity because of our extensive work we did on, on coarse particle recovery and coarse particle flotation. And in the course of doing that work, we identified that the, the reject sands that came from the, from the hydrofloat that we were using to do our, our coarse particle flotation, those reject sands were incredibly fast to dewater. And of course, that it's not it's pretty obvious why because you've extracted a lot of the fines to make that technology work you need to remove the fines to develop that fluidized bed to be able to drive that different approach to flotation so we identified very quickly back in 2016 that there was a potential to utilize the, the sand rejects uh, utilize that stream as a separate stack and that separate stack would give up its water very very quickly so we patented that concept the concept of sand stacking associated with cpr back in 2016 and then back in 2019 we actually thought well hang on a minute what if we took those sands and actually placed those sands in contiguous layers or contiguous channels across our tailings facility would they not provide a shorter drainage path for our tailings there were two things that allowed us to believe that hypothesis was sound. One of them was that in a normal tailings facility, the horizontal permeability is five to ten times what the vertical permeability is. And so if you're able to place these horizontal drainage channels across your facility, then you're actually potentially rapidly reducing that drainage path. The other thing was was the sand themselves. The sand themselves are derived from the tailings and therefore as a filter they're ideally suited to filter the tailings and that's quite important because anybody would know who's built a rock fill dam if you build a rock fill dam it's a very safe way of building a dam but if you don't put some sort of filter between your rock fill and your tailings when you fill that rock fill dam with tailings the tailings are just going to go through the pores in the rock and come out okay so 
you need to have a gradation relationship between your filter material and the material you're trying to filter, which in our case is your CPR sands and your tailings. Because the CPR sand is derived from the tailings, therefore you have a really good relationship. And when you look at the Tasagi relationship between those two products, it's, it's very strong. And what we found in the trials that we've done is that that filter layer doesn't clog, it actually acts quite, quite nicely. So we started the work in straight away in 2019. We, we submitted a, a patent at that time, the wicking patent, because we, we hypothesized that these sand channels would literally wick the water out of the tailings the same way that uh, that kitchen roll does when you make a spill in the in the kitchen. And that's what we've identified. That's what we've seen in our in our trials to date. We then progressed to a proof of concept, which was a one meter by one meter by one and a half meter perspex box filled with a great deal of instrumentation. That went very well and demonstrated that we were able to desaturate that total tailings stack by significant amounts, down to about 60 to 80% saturation, which massively reduces your risk and consequence of liquefaction. So those experiments were done in, in a lab, in a controlled yes, instrumented lab setting. That's yeah. right. So that first set of proof of concept testing was done in Perth, Australia, and then we actually decommissioned that rig and moved it to University de Santa Maria in Valparaiso in Chile. And we've since done two or three more trials there. We then took the leap. This was quite a big leap. This is where I need to, to say thank you to my, my senior management in Anglo-America for, for believing in what we were doing and making that commitment from a one meter by one meter by one and a half meter box to a full-scale 150,000 cubic meter fully lined tailings basin that we've built and we are now operating in the El Soldado mine in Chile. That, that Those tests at El Soldado as a demonstration have gone very well. They've been running for some time now, I think. That's right. So we constructed it in 21-22, so it took us a bit longer thanks to the pandemic. Not, not an unusual occurrence. We commissioned it in the and towards the end of Q2 last year and we completed phase one in January this year and phase two is now underway. We've evolved, the trial has evolved because it is a trial. We've made plenty of mistakes which is great. You want to make mistakes when you're doing a trial because that's how you learn and we've had quite a lot of success. I mean that the, the headlines are as follows. We're, we've increased our water recovery significantly. We're getting regularly about 80% water recovery. We're getting significant desaturation. I think the average desaturation across the whole of phase one was about 75%. Um, and then from the perspective of getting access onto the facility for, for, for the benefit of legacy, this is potentially one of the largest benefits, the, the ability to close facilities and reuse facilities. We were able to be back on that facility quite happily within within a matter of days. And in fact, we had the mining minister of Chile come to visit us back in April. And she was more than happy to walk across the tailings, which was, uh, I think, about 25 days previously had been basic soup and was now. That, that's pretty... remarkable. Yeah, that, that's a remarkable result. I think we can say also one of the considerations for choosing El Sodado as a demonstration is because there's also a CPR plant there that's generating that's right. tail. So you have a, a really, you're testing not just one of, one of the processes, but the integrated HDS process in terms exactly. of- Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, people will say, oh, HDS, that works really well, but I need CPR. And I was like, and I say, well, 
I think if you've got CPR, if you're in a copper operation with CPR, then HDS, the value proposition is pretty overwhelming, in our opinion. And we've done analysis on a number of other operations that have shown significant financial benefit in terms of additional water recovery. And that's just a raw it's a raw MPV, and MPV is not always the best way to try and measure the value of some of these ESG goals. But in this instance, it's a pretty stark value proposition. If you don't have CPR and if you're in the copper industry and your tailings are relatively coarse, the 80 of 150, 180 microns, there there is still potential. And I think you should look at it very carefully. I think CPR is a technology is underutilized and I don't think people fully understand the potential benefits. We've had a great deal of success with it at El Sedado. We're looking to put it in at a couple of other operations. It's currently going through commissioning at one of our platinum operations in South Africa, which is also where we're about to, where we have started our second demonstration of HDS. We're currently using imported sand on that site at the moment. We hope to use the CPR sands later this year. Yeah, I think one of the things I can say from my perspective is that Angle has really pioneered the idea that coarse particle recovery, CPR, can be used not only to reduce the amount of energy and to get higher recovery of uh, floatable material, but it can also be used to enable this HDS, a completely new way of taking care of tailings and and disposing of tailings in a a safe way. Like you said, within 25 days, it can be... uh, Uh, walked on and returned back to its original form. Yeah, I think that when we think about when we think about HDS and we think about what the benefits are for HDS, we we kind of have a bit of a mantra and that's safety water legacy. And all those three benefits come from the, the main objective of HDS, which is rapid desaturation of the tailings body. So we accelerate both dewatering, we accelerate consolidation. So from a safety perspective, a desaturated facility is is far less likely to liquefy and were it to liquefy the consequences are going to be significantly less you're going to be talking about slumps rather than flows from a water perspective you can increase your water recovery we were hopeful that our water quality would also improve what we found at el soldado to date is our water quality is about the same as the water quality that we get from our current tailings facility but the big difference is we get it back in hours and days rather than days and weeks it comes back very quickly actually it's rather funny because at, at some point my project manager three or four months ago actually told i was speaking to him on a regular call and he said the, the plants asked us to stop the trial and i said oh why is that? We're sending them too much water. <laughs> so too much. You're so, recovering too much water. So we're actually recovering too much water too quickly. And you know that's that's just an artifact of the trial, um, because you know the mine has grown up with a certain amount of infrastructure to hold water in you know in readiness for its use, and and that that was all full. So we were in a situation where the the mine was having to pump the excess water up to the t- up to our existing tailings facility, which kind of defeated the object of what we were trying to do. But there will be implications on applying HDS in terms of managing your water, and some of those will come with a cost. But it's all positive in terms of not having to handle additional water. And what you can do, of course, is you can start thinking about turning off other water supplies, whether it's very expensive imported tanker water which we do use at a few of our mines and it's and the cost there is you know in excess of ten dollars a cubic meter 
or it may be fresh water that you're using that you can ease back on and that goes a long way to meet some of our some of your esg targets with respect to communities so the big picture in to the industry and to governments and to society at large is if you can recover that water, you don't need to use as much fresh new water into the system. Exactly, exactly. And I think that one of the things you, if you think about our internal targets, or internal, but but made public, and we're holding ourselves to them as, as investors shall, of course, is to reduce our freshwater abstraction by 50% by the end of this decade. And the application of HDS is going to go a long way to help us achieve that target. Do you think that will, I mean, obviously that will help at existing sites, but will that also help you to get permitted and to get uh, greenfield projects ready to go earlier because you have less water? Yeah, I think that's right. I think the opportunities at new sites are, are real and We've had the regulator visit our site at El Soldado. We had a really, really good conversation with them about what we've done and what we've achieved and what we would like to achieve going forward. And I think what we're trying to communicate with regulators is that there are opportunities to deliver a tailings management solution that that approaches the geotechnical and water recovery performance of a filtered stack but it doesn't actually involve huge quantities of filters, which you know is, is an expensive undertaking, has a significant carbon footprint, has a very large energy consumption. And we're achieving, to a certain extent, that filtration of the tailings by using different portions of the tailings themselves and building a huge, you know, tens of meters high filter press the, as the stack gets higher it will force that water through through the filtering material, which in our cases are fine spree sand. Instead of using energy to develop that pressure to push across exactly. the filter, you're just using gravity. We're using gravity, which is which is free. And may it always be there. Gosh, the world would be a strange place without it. That's that's a really, really great way of explaining it as a sort of a natural, naturally constructed filter press. I, I know, Phil, as well, that Part of your aspirations are to not just uh, keep this technology in-house, but also to share it with the larger mining and geotechnical community. Can you explain a little bit about uh, your and Anglo's vision on that? Yeah, we are keen to, to license the technology across the rest of the industry. We've taken quite a, a measured approach to the licensing. We've engaged with a number of different geotechnical consultants and we've signed MOUs with a, with a few of them to date. Um, and we're hoping to sign more going forward. Um, that's, that doesn't come, with any, come at any cost. We want to be able to get some of the larger geotechnical consultancies familiar with what we're trying to do. We want to tap into their knowledge and understanding of tailings. Most of them get it pretty quickly when we explain it to them and they've already come up with some interesting new ideas. And the MOU just basically says, you know, you will respect the fact that it's a licensed technology. You will share the information and share some of the technical uh, expertise that you developed through what we're going to set up as a, it's called the HDS working group, which will be a community of practice, which will allow us to be able to share all the insights and learnings that we've generated as we start um, doing more studies and then we start doing more trials, more demonstrations, go to pre-commercial and eventually go to commercial application. From a mining perspective, 
we've already started speaking to a number of different mining companies and we had a we had a great visit to the site back just around the Jekamin tailings conference in middle of June where we had about 10 or 12 major mining companies come to site and have a look round that's been really valuable and we've had a lot of positive feedback from from them and what we would do with the mining companies is we would look to get them involved um sign an NDA with them so that we can share uh, information with them and then look to potentially develop either a development and license agreement to DLA or a joint development agreement with them in order to progress the technology. In terms of the license, and people have often asked me, you know, what, what does that actually mean? Well, the license is, to a certain extent, it's a way to recover some of the costs that we've invested in the technology to date. But more importantly, I believe, there's, there's two other things which are, I think, more important than just re recovering dollars and cents that we've invested. The first one is to, just to make sure that we have some sort of control over who uses the technology. So there is a, a qualifying criteria for, for mining companies to actually be allowed to apply HDS at their sites. And that's just to make sure that we, we protect the technology and we make sure that we don't allow companies just to install it incorrectly or to try and do it where it may not actually be applicable because it's not applicable everywhere. We have found some places where it doesn't work. The second issue is to ensure that the mining companies who are licensed understand that they have a responsibility to share some of their technical experience with the, the greater HDS community. And that will allow us to really understand the, the fastest way forward to be able to accelerate the implementation of the technology. We won't be asking the mining companies to share any competitive or commercial information. That's made quite clear in, in, in the legal documents that we've prepared. The other thing to remember is the technology is still in its nascent phase. We're very comfortable with the science. Uh, the work that we've done to date has proved the science. What we're less comfortable with is some of the operational and engineering challenges with respect to the transportation and the placement of the sand, and there's still work to be done. We're working with a number of different contractors looking at options there, and we've, we've kind of put out a, a very warm invitation to other mining companies to, if they're interested in getting involved and they have a relevant site where we could do some trials, then we could then pursue, say, a joint development agreement where we would share some of the costs to actually improve some of the engineering applications. What this means from the perspective of mining companies is that early adopters are going to probably get a pretty uh, significant benefit and a big break on, on any license fees. And the license fees we're talking about are not, not going to be significant. It's just a question of, of recovering some of our investment costs. And that makes sense. Early participants that are going to be helping you to perfect the technology are going to get a reduced license fee to, to yeah, join. Yeah, or up. a license fee holiday or, you know, for a period of time or, or yeah, reduced rates, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Sure. Phil, I heard you say that there were some applications where this technology wasn't suitable or there was technical challenges. Can you elaborate on some of the boundaries where you think this technology <laughs> works and where it doesn't work? Yeah. So we need sand. We need to have that fines free sand. So if you've got a, if, so for example, let me give you an example with respect to some of our platinum operations. Our platinum operations, we are looking at CPR and some of our platinum operations. And in that application, we may have about 13 to 15% of our total tailings available at sand. We think we can make that work. And we think that that's, that's going to really make quite a significant 
improvement on water recovery. I think our, our early estimate is about 30% improvement in water recovery. If we don't have CPR, given that the D80 of a platinum tailings is probably in the 70 to 80 micron range, we're going to be really struggling to have enough sand to make this technology work. So at the moment, it's that's kind of on the back burner if there's no CPR. The other I, I, area, I, I, enough, enough self-generated sand. You could also bring sand in to make that that layer, that filter layer. You, you could. I'm glad you mentioned that because we've we've looked at an application where we were looking at improving the stability just around the crest of a the crest of a dam for a facility of extremely fine tailings and where we were looking at, a, at an imported sand material. But remember what I said earlier about the relationship between the, the PSD of the sand and the PSD of the tailings. They need to be relatively close to each other. So we can't use a, an imported beach sand, which is going to be quite coarse, and, you know, say a, a, a lateritic tails where we might have 40% passing 10 microns, okay? You're going to need a very, very fine sand. Um, and what you might find is that the sand you'll find available either from 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 coastal areas or from river areas or from a quarry is going to be too coarse. And so you don't get compatibility. And so what you're going to find in that instance is you'll build your sand channels and it might work to start with, but the sand channel will clog. Right. So that's one area where applications come with almost like a, a little bit of a health warning. The other area is is if you can imagine you're building your facility, you've got your sand channels in, you're putting layers on top of each other, you're effectively wetting and drying your sands quite frequently. Now, if you've got a highly peritic tailings with quite a high quantity of free sulfides in there that may offer a net acid generating potential that is high, then again, that's another another area to be careful of because you potentially are creating almost an acidic, an acid reactor within your HDS. You're, you're um, leaching into yeah. the into the water. Exactly. So so you've got to be careful there. And I always thought that was probably the, the the clearest potential fatal flaw until someone pointed out to me when we were talking about the application of HDS at, at abandoned mine sites, like orphaned mine sites, mines that the state is currently trying to look after. And there was one in particular where they foresaw that there was going to be about 120 years of ongoing water treatment because of acid generation, because that's how long it would take to flush the acid. Whereas when we started talking about HDS, one of the guys actually pointed out, well, actually, do you know what? Maybe we will. Maybe we will pursue HDS because that will accelerate that flush. And maybe what we do is we process the tails, we recover some metal, which would make a financial contribution to what we're trying to do. Then we could build an HDS and we could accept the fact that for 10 years, instead of 120 years, we are going to have a very highly acidic flush. And then after that, once that's flushed, then the acid's gone and then we could potentially close it and we could walk away from the site in 20 years instead of 120 years. So I thought that was a really interesting application. Yeah, in terms of recovering or reprocessing material yeah. from existing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In terms of you talked a little bit about the next steps and and Anglo's desire to Put together this community of practice and an HDS community. What other steps are in place to take this to the next level of commercialization? What we're doing at the moment, we've got 
two demonstration trials. We've got the trial at El Sodado in Chile, which we're approaching the halfway stage on now. We've got a trial just started at Maholaquena in South Africa, which has just started in the last last month. That will continue until Q1 next year. So those those trials are ongoing and they're providing a really good showcase for other mining companies to come and visit. I have already visited two or three other mine sites to look at potential applications. These are outside of Anglo. And also we've completed conceptual studies and we're progressing on a pre-feasibility study for two other applications within the Anglo stable. So I think that we're gearing up. We need to gear up the number of people as well who are helping me do this work. So that's one of the issues. We're, we're interested in talking to mining companies about opportunities to, to complete the conceptual studies and start doing those investigations. And we're learning lots that I've already shared with you some of the learnings we've had with respect to both this acid drainage issue or, and the relationship between the sand size and the tailing size. We're also going to be doing and continuing work with both the University of Santa Maria in Chile and talking to another couple of other universities to look at trying to backfill some of the science uh, and trying to understand a bit better the relationship between fines content and wicking capability, trafficability. There's a there's quite a lot of things to do, to be perfectly honest with you, but it's all quite exciting. Yeah, it sounds like it. I think you and Angle are making a huge contribution to sustainability of mining and to the to the, the better stewardship of, of water. I think I think that's right. I think that the the kind of the short term gains are related to water issues. From my perspective, the really exciting part of HDS is the potential from the legacy perspective. And I talked about those three things: safety, water, legacy. And the legacy issue really allows us to, to look at tailings differently. And I'm reminded of that famous book that was written about 10, 15 years ago, called 100 Things to Do with a Hole in the Ground, where people were looking at closure and looking at what we could do with an open pit. And I, I want to kind of turn that on its head and, and challenge people to think about what can we do with 100 million tons of waste? What can we build that will actually leave that area better off economically, from a biodiversity perspective, from an environmental perspective, better off than it was before mining came along. And that really does tap into people's creativity. And I'll be really content with the work that I've done in the last few years when, when we have a, a, a tailings facility that's being put to some really valuable use uh, and being really valued by stakeholders and the communities around the mine. Maybe it's being converted into a sports field or a sports center. Maybe it's a solar power plant delivering low carbon electricity to the community. Maybe it's a, an industrial agricultural approach. Maybe it's a, a cash crop or biomass. There's lots of things that we can do. And I think we need to, as an industry, really think carefully uh, about what we're going to leave behind. We do not want to leave behind these huge, great bowls of soup with tailings facilities and up with tailings dams, sorry, that, that require constant maintenance to make sure we don't have trees growing on them so that the roots don't destabilize the, the dam. And the ability to deliver something that is of value goes a long way to achieving that, that ambition. 
Yeah, I think so. I think that's especially as as the mining enterprise ramps up for things like uh, net zero and all of the base metals and different metals that are required to make that happen. I think there's going to be a lot more tailings and how we treat that and how we make that recoverable is going to be very important for, for society and for the social license for miners. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, net zero is a, it's a big challenge, but it's, it's ambitious and, I, and it's the right thing we should be doing. The other thing that to remember from a net zero perspective is that there are quite a lot of tailings out there that would actually be quite useful in terms of sequestering carbon. So I would challenge some of the mining industry to look at the possibility of, of going beyond net zero and actually being superbly negative. Because if you're if you're mining himbolites or, or nickel or even platinum, then you're going to have quite significant ultramafic or alkali rich rock that will make its way into your tailings facility. And it's something that we've been looking at. And I know there's quite a lot of other companies looking at it as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this decade or even into the 2030s, there will be mines opening purely for the for the reason to sequester carbon, which is the, quite interesting. The, the, the basic idea there is you break up the rock, the minerals into to much smaller yeah. particles with lots more surface area, and they can actually absorb CO2 and form other minerals. But in, exactly. the, in the process of that, they take CO2 out of the atmosphere. Exactly. The, the, the best example is brucite. MgOH2 is highly reactive and very, very quickly absorbs CO2. The only problem, of course, is because it's so reactive, there's not much brucite left in the world. There are a few mines out there, but they're quite small. So we really need to look at other magnesium silicates and ways in which we can break into that structure and, and, and allow it to absorb CO2. Excellent. Is there anything else you want to you add or, or mention to the audience? I think that maybe just, I think when we talked about challenges, one of the challenges for the larger scale application of HDS is, is the kind of long distance, high volume transportation of sands. And in those instances, we need to assess the opportunities for pumping the sand with the tailings as a combined product and then installing modular you know, low footprint classification systems closer to the tailings facility. I mentioned that because you're very aware of what we're doing on that. But it's it, what what what's very interesting to me is it's not just the size of the particles, but it's it's almost an engineered particle size distribution to get the right filter material, and it it, it has to do also with what you're trying to filter as well. Yeah, for sure, it, it, exactly. So the material, the CPR sand, is quite a unique product. I'm not sure if it's found that much in nature. It's a fine sand, a fine to medium sand with very, very little silt fraction. So you've had almost all the minus 75 micron taken out. Yep. Um, and I don't think that really occurs in nature very much. No, it shouldn't. I mean, most things form a, a natural size distribution. That... Yeah. So a free, a free draining beach sand would be free would be as free draining as our material, but it would have a much much coarser grain size. It would have you know it would have particles in there that would go up to three four millimeters, whereas our product, you know, is four fifty microns down, but four fifty microns down to seventy five microns and then it stops. So it delivers a really excellent material for the purpose that we're putting it towards, but it represents challenges from a perspective of 
long distance transportation and placement. I won't labour that point, but I mean, it's, it's engineering, isn't it? So I think that I think the point that will hopefully come across is that the science, what the work we've done to date is we haven't identified any fatal flaws. We haven't contradicted our hypothesis and we've supported the science behind what we're trying to do. And now we just need to engineer a proper, legitimate and economical solution. Well, thanks very much, Bill, for this discussion about HDS and the possibilities for making huge improvements to the mining enterprise and look forward to seeing you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you found value and ideas from this episode. Your voice and advocacy can help us to expand conversations in eco-efficient mineral processing. So if you have enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive rating or even write a quick review on Google or Apple iTunes. If you'd like to stay informed and involved, you can tap into free resources at our website, seekthefuture.org. That's C-E-E-C-thefuture.org. You can also subscribe to our regular Seek News, which features information on new podcasts, videos, and events. And to join our expanding group of advocates and sponsors, just email comms at seekthefuture.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at seekthefuture.org. Thank you, and we hope you'll join us for the next Seeking Change podcast.